We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Coming at you in the midst of some exciting playoff action. Uh, shout out to all of our patrons who got to hear my immediate post-game reaction to the uh, Bucks celtics game the other night. Uh, man, game of the playoffs, that's for sure. Uh, it has been fun, even if uh, our team that we love and root for is unfortunately not participating. Uh, it's been cool to see this postseason. It's been it's been entertaining, especially since I kind of feel like there isn't a favorite right now for the NBA championship. Um, but, uh, you know, keeps it interesting. In any case, uh, we as Nick fans root for the day when we will be competing for such things. And uh, to that end, there is an exciting off season ahead of us, lots of possibilities. And so I thought, you know, with a lot of names being thrown around of a lot of different uh, players that we might add via free agency, sign and trade, um, just trading for outright. It would be good to bring on one of our old friends, one of our good friends here, Tom Piccolo, to delve into some of the finer points of acquiring some of these big names and not just like, oh, you know, what's the cap look like if we, you know, whatever, sign and uh, trade for for Jalen Brunson or whoever, but actually, like you know, how would it play out on the court? Get to get into a little bit of the the more the more nuanced points, as it were, of uh, what some of these acquisitions might look like. So I, I told him to pick out some of the names that he was more interested in, 
that have been rumored to uh, to go to the Knicks this summer. And, and we got into that. We got into some draft stuff as well. Uh, as usual, you know, Tom and I, we always have a good conversation. He's great. Uh, he really is good with the numbers, good with the film. And uh, I think you will enjoy this conversation. So uh, stay tuned for that. As always, if you dig the show, feel free to drop us a five-star rating. Or if you are so inclined, leave us a generous review. We always appreciate those and they help us out. Um, I think that's it. Uh, without further ado, here is a friend of the pod of Talking Knicks and of John Boy, Tom Piccolo. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, a, I, I, you know what? I think I'm going to give him this one. I think he's the Tom Hanks of this podcast. We, I always joke with Fuddy about the SNL comparisons, about the, the, the frequent guests. I think I think Fuddy's the, 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 uh, the, the John Goodman or like the... Um, which Baldwin, whichever one of the Baldwins, Alec, Alec Baldwin. Thank you. I'm giving you, I'm giving you the Tom Hanks. Um, first of all, because your, your name is Tom, Tom Piccolo. Hello, Tom. How are you? Hello. I'm doing great. And I'm, I'm doing even better after the Tom Hanks comparison, because that's, that's as good as it gets right there. You got a little Andrew, come on. Movie, movie podcast host. What's up? Not, is the Tom Hanks cop not? It, oh, it, I think he works. Yeah, it works. I think he's more just like, Wow, high praise. I just got compared to Tom Hanks for the first time in my life. Because Tom Hanks is like, he's obviously he's amazing what he does. Multiple Academy Award winner, Tom Hanks. But he's also the everyman. You know, you can relate to Tom Hanks. And that's why it's I think it's a fitting comparison. Right. He's graduated I, to like America's dad. I think. Right. Is where is that? The You're like America's Knicks analyst. The pandemic didn't start it with patient zero. The pandemic started when Tom Hanks caught COVID. And we were like, oh, exactly. This oh, this is serious. Yes. So um, Tom is here. It's uh, as always uh, courtesy of our friends at Talking Knicks. Um, also courtesy of our friends at John Boy uh, Media. Right. Can I say that? I can yeah, say that. Totally. OK, there we go. Um, we, we thank both of them for once again lending him out to us. And before we get into the next stuff, we have a fun little gimmick today. I have to share a little bit of pre-show banter. So Tom, for those of you who don't know, is expecting his first child very soon. Uh, and and if you're not watching on the YouTube channel, uh, shout out Nick's Film School YouTube, you cannot see Tom's big smile. It's very happy. <laughs> very is like if there's an air of of like lightness. I mean, he's nervous. Don't get me wrong. It's like an air of lightness about him. And Andrew asked Tom, "Oh, is this your is your second or your first? And to uh, to Andrew, I say, Andrew, you know when you're talking to a man who has children, and this is not the man. This is not a man who is dealing with with a small child or children. Okay. Fair point. Uh, Tom clearly looks like he's had a, a good night's sleep recently. Oh, he looks well yes. rested, <laughs> stress free. It's not fucking uh, pasta attached to his, you know, dried pasta attached to his shirt or vomit or whatever. I was gonna say, as opposed to somebody else who um, was was joyful at us pushing this podcast back fifteen minutes, so he could nap. He, he's not bringing tag. the bottle of wine to the podcast, <laughs> you know, like I, you know, some people. Hey man, we've got a we've got a baby boy coming in July here, so pretty soon um, there'll be another another maybe Knicks fan in this world. So. Uh, uh, no, we're, we're excited, but also, yeah, it, it, we know it's going to be a, a sleep's going to be 
hard to come by the whole thing. I mean, my, my brother has two kids now. And so I, you know, I've gotten sort of a, a close look, not a firsthand look, but a close look at what that, what that's like. So, um, I, you can't prepare for it. You just gotta, just gotta survive it. I, you know what, you know who I love are the people who are like, and if you, if this is you out there and you take offense to this, I, I, I don't care. Um, the people who are like, oh no, I know what it's like to have a child. I have a, I have a, I have a dog, or like I have a cat, or I have a fucking gerbil, or something. Some, I have a, I have goldfish. Uh, no, you don't know. You don't know. You can't know. Um, it's also for you. You kind of look a little like Sean Marks. It's like Sean Marks. Like he might have thought before he signed Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. I know what this will entail. I, I know the trials and tribulations that are going to come with my life. No, you don't. Now you're having press conferences three three years later talking about buy-in and team and all this other stuff. Hey, at least he's talking to I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Did, did we get an NBA media member on here? Is that like a major, major media yeah, right. person? The character I do. I'm not going to name uh, any names. Uh, that's a good transition. The Knicks are um, the Knicks are not the Nets. The Knicks are not in a position where we are dealing with curmudgeon superstars. Uh, we are dealing with good old-fashioned third-world NBA problems, uh, just trying to make ends meet, put one foot in front of the other, um, which is, you know, how we head into another offseason. Um, I, 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 so our gimmick today, we're going to go through some, some potential play. Like Lots of names are getting thrown around. I asked Tom to pick three names of, of names that are being associated with the Knicks that they might trade for or draft or, or not, well, not draft, uh, trade for or, or sign or whatever. And, and who is most interesting him to him, at least from like a fit perspective, because I feel like we don't ever go the next step of like, Ooh, this player is available. Let's sign him or let's trade for him. Oftentimes we don't get into the fit. Uh, before we get to that, I'll just ask you, are you, how are you feeling going into this offseason? Are you excited? Are you nervous? You know, are you feeling better or worse about it than you are about your, your impending child? How, how, how are you feeling? Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I've been kind of like, I've been a little disconnected lately. Like I haven't been on Twitter much. Um, even the NBA playoffs, I've been watching here and there, but I haven't been like hardcore watching every game. Uh, I've probably watched more HBO's winning time than I have of the playoffs, to be honest. Like Fair. I, it's been a little bit of a, of a respite of kind of like a vacation for me. And then I got the DM from, from Andrew and I was like, Oh, I got a cram. This was like a, like a final for me. I was like, I got to study up a little bit, but um, no, I, I like there's my, my expectations, I guess are, are fairly low. Um, okay. I think I, I heard you guys, the two of you guys talking um, John, you and Andrew on our pod last week about how the expectation is basically that, that Julius Randall is going to, likely be back. Like, I think that yeah. when the season first ended, there was this knee jerk, like, Oh, he, get him out of here at any cost. Like we got to like clean slate. I think that that sort of knee jerk reaction has subsided and, and reality setting in Julius Randall's going to be back. Obi Toppin's going to be back. Like, I don't think that we're going to have sort of huge, you know, changes on that front. But I, you know, there are things on the, on the fringes that I think could be interesting, could help this team going forward, but I'm, I'm going in where I don't think that it's going to be a massive scale off season. Um, I've been proved wrong before, but that's sort of where I'm at. I, I, um, I think if we're not sitting here in whatever it is, five months from now or six months from now talking about, wow, 
the Knicks finally did it. They made their all in move and whatever that entails. I think you're going to be proven right. Um, and I think, well, again, there, yes, I, I don't expect to see the same roster back. I, I think it is going to be more changes on, on the fringes, which is part of why I wanted to, to do this pod in this way with you, because again, I think when sometimes some of these names get tossed around, it's like, Oh, this is going to be great because, you know, once we move on from this player and like, when we move on for that, well, you know, and I guess what I'm curious to hear from you is like, okay, let's say they get player X or player Y or player Z. Like, how do you think they would look with this team? Do you think there's like one player that would need to leave to make it work? Well, not, you know, one player that, you know, has to stay or like, boy, this guy would compliment this guy in the roster. So with that, um, I told you to think of three guys. Give me, give me a name. Give me someone that you're interested in that they might be able to, to get this offseason. Yeah. And, and I know I just said that I don't expect like huge changes here, but I do think that these conversations can be instructive in that, you know, yeah. around players' skill sets and like these, these players can, or, or these conversations can then be scaled to like other players and, and, their skill sets and whether they might fit. So, um, you know, for example, Donovan Mitchell, let's do it. He, well, he was someone who immediately came to mind when, when you gave me this prompt. And then I go and I see that you guys, because you're Nick's film school dropped a three hour podcast about Donovan Mitchell. Jeremy's Jeremy's I go and listen, I go and listen to it. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe you and Jeremy will like only get into the, the cap stuff. And then I hear him dropping like, pick and roll stats and catch and shoot stats. I'm like, what else am I going to say about this? I, like the classic, you guys. Um, Sorry. But no, I, I think that there, there are still some, some interesting conversations to be had. And I, I'm happy to be a little devil's advocate here because please. Like, yeah. Well, it I, seemed like the consensus was, yeah. T- what, what do you, what did you take away from it? It would seem like the consensus was that we, we should not make this trade for, for Donovan Mitchell given how much we know it's going to cost. Cause we know it's going to cost RJ Barrett. We know it's going to cost young talent and we know it's going to cost some picks. Like I, I think to think it won't cost that you're deluding yourself. So that's a lot to give up for a player that we just saw kind of flame out in the playoffs. And I think one question you have to have is like, how much are you going to, how much weight are you going to give this one playoff series versus Dallas? How much are you going to hold it against Donovan Mitchell here? Like, yes, he was, he did a lot of just he atrocious on defense. There was poor decision-making. Um, but there are some fair questions there too, where it's like, look at his supporting cast. Like it was, yeah. was there enough there in terms of creation, shot creation um, for him to be best utilized is his efficiency was garbage. But I mean, we've seen in prior and prior seasons, prior post seasons when he's been tremendous when he's, you know, gone oh. to with he had that series against Jamal Murray, which I know you guys reference. And so yeah. I think that there's this whole kind of notion where it's like, can beggars be choosers here? And that's uh, well put. And, you know, if you can get a talent like Donovan Mitchell, who's 25 in the door, do you have to do it? And I, and I think the one question I would pose to you would be like true or false. If, if RJ at any point in his career, is as good as Donovan Mitchell is now, would we be happy? Oh, happy? I, my God. Um, ecstatic, it doesn't even begin. Because that would mean that, and again, I think I, we did our, 
penultimate all NBA picks uh, about a month before the season ended, Andrew, for, or, or whereabouts. And I had at that time Donovan Mitchell by a hair over Trey Young on my all NBA team with the caveat that like, I thought both of them were top 15 guys in the NBA at, at this exact time. And because it was like some positional funkiness, like we, I had, to, we had to pick between them. Um, I think he's a top 15 guy right now. And if you told me that Donovan Mitchell is actually really closer to a top 10 guy, I would be like, okay, uh, I think that's fair. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've gone on record as saying, I don't think that's in the cards for RJ. And again, I'll, I'll get called a hater and all kinds of uh, mean names. And that's fine. I just, you could be a great NBA player. You could be a multi-time all-star. And there have been, in fact, multi-time all-stars who never make the all-NBA team. So, like, I think there is a little bit of a gap between where, where Mitchell's at right now and where I personally see RJ's ceiling. So, yes, that would be a, a, a true statement, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'm, I mean, even if you want to factor in their, their age discrepancy, like Donovan Mitchell in his rookie year, he was 21. I mean, he did put up 20 points per game. On, on better efficiency than RJ has done so far to this point on a winning team. Like, you know, Don Mitchell was also a very good young player, right? And has improved over the years. I fully expect RJ to improve as well. And I'm not saying, oh, you have to trade RJ for Donovan Mitchell. I just think it's not as cut and dry as maybe a lot of fans think because we do fall in love with our prospects. If, if we had drafted Donovan Mitchell, I can guarantee we would have fallen in love with him too. So uh, I just, oh my god, we would. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm laughing because you know what the, what we would all be saying if, if like Donovan Mitchell was our guy. I think that you brought up a really good point on that on that show with Jeremy, though, as far as the fit with the Knicks with Donovan Mitchell on this team, because that's my concern, and specifically with Randall. I just want to specify, like, the notion of giving up RJ plus whatever three firsts for Donovan to bring him here. For, and this is, that's basically your team absent another like big move. That's more where my worry is. So yeah. Pairing him with Randall does feel like a losing proposition. I don't think that they, maybe you put it this way, bring out the best in each other. I, I <laughs> think they would kind of exacerbate each other's flaws to an extent. Um, I, I think it would take the ball out of Julius Randall's hands a lot, but he doesn't do a lot off the ball. So um, you know, when, when you look at, at a guy like Rudy Gobert, it's, you know, the, the, the complaints, the criticisms about him are that he can't create anything on his own, right? Like if you dump the ball to him in a mismatch in the playoffs, that's not good offense, right? Um, he's, he's extremely limited on that end, but it's hard to say he's not a good fit with Donovan Mitchell. Like he does, you know, fill a lot of the, the weaknesses that, that Mitchell has as far as the, the interior defense. And then just as a yep. rim runner, he's one of the best rim running bigs in the league. Like last year oh, for sure. he was, I, I had to hear, he was top five in the league in points as the role man. He was in the 82nd percentile in efficiency as a like scoring out of pick and rolls. Rudy Gobert is, is not a, a non-contributor on that end. Right. So he and Donovan Mitchell have some synergy there. And I think, what what I started to think was, especially in that in that conversation you had with Jeremy, you said Donovan Mitchell is going to basically play GM, right? They're going they're going to make him, they're going to let yes. him call the shots. And so, if that's the case, I think, think that this conversation should probably skew a little bit more towards Rudy Gobert and whether I, Rudy Gobert 
should be a target for the Knicks. Um, two two quick things. One, I, I, no, I. So wait, am I am I frozen? I hope I'm not frozen. I freeze sometimes. Okay, good. Um, two things. One, um, I just want to pull up the 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 RJ Donovan thing. I know, like for me at least, it it really does. Like if you talk about any perimeter player and like RJ Barrett for for as much as we talk about him as like the next Jimmy Butler, potentially he's a perimeter player. He still needs to be a perimeter player. Like that's still that he needs to do perimeter player things. Like Donovan Mitchell walked into the league, taking um, a third of his threes unassisted and making them at like a really good clip, like as a rookie, like we're sitting here in year three and RJ Barrett is still like, He's under a hundred, you know, pull up threes and he's, he's hitting them like one out of every four. So that to me, where you're, when you're talking about the gap, it's like, you know, it's like what the, the men from the boys in the NBA today, it's like you either have off the dribble gravity behind the arc or you don't. And then there are other things that you fill in around that. But for me, that's kind of where that conversation starts regarding Gobert. I think Rudy's very interesting because again, we're not talking about a bad player on offense. We're talking about a, a player who two playoffs in a row, first the Clippers and then the Mavs, ran into teams who who went five out and and they Gobert couldn't punish them on switches, which is like that's a very specific thing that he can't do. It's a thing that contributed to the Jazz getting eliminated in the last two years. But like it is still one thing and just the way the Jazz are built, I think he needs to be able to to do that for for them to function at a championship level, which again, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the difference between the jazz being a contender, quasi contender versus a, a, you know, championship level team. So like, I agree with you. I think the, the slings and arrows are a little bit too, too sharp where Rudy is concerned. Yeah. I think that when, when you consider Rudy Gobert, like I, I think it's, it's hard not to make a comparison to like Mitchell Robinson here. And like the question would, would sort of be like, what does Gobert do? worse than Mitch? The answer is probably nothing. I mean, like maybe you could say putbacks. Um, Mitch was, you know, first in the league in, in putback points. Gobert was second. Um, I think that the question is, Gobert is going to be owed more than $40 million a year on average for the next four seasons. And, you know, Mitch, you're probably going to be able to get a 12, 13, something like that. So, you know, a third of, let's say a third of the cost. A third of the cost. So like, is that is their discrepancy in production really that <laughs> to that level? It's hard to say that it is, um, yeah. you know, there are probably very few coach player symbiosis relationships out there that could be like more productive than maybe Gobert and Thibodeau. I think you'd get a lot out of Gobert on the defensive end and um, would, would really rely on him to be that anchor. And I think that, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's it's an interesting conversation, but ultimately where I come down on it is it's just, I think you'd actually have to give stuff up to get Gobert at this point. Oh yeah. You would. Cause so, you know, somebody else is giving something up. Like somebody will talk themselves into him being, you know, the difference, whether they could talk themselves into like in, in behind closed doors, you give him true serum. It's about what teams can sell. And you know, in Atlanta or somewhere, I mean, I think Atlanta is an obvious one. Charlotte, maybe. I mean, these teams will be able to sell this to their fan base, I think. Yeah. And just, you know, circling back a little bit, because I think I, I sort of land in the same spot on both Gobert and Mitchell. But, you know, if Mitchell becomes available, I think that there is 
this question where it's like, you know, does getting Donovan Mitchell make you more likely to attract other talent? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a fair question. I don't know. Do guys want to play with Donovan Mitchell? It's a great question. I, I, I think they do. Do you? It, well, it's funny. I, so my barometer for this is going back and looking at the NBA All-Stars draft to see where he got selected. <laughs> That's great. This where did he get picked? I don't even know. This is not scientific, but he was he was towards the very bottom in both years, the last two years. Okay. Um, I, I thought that was at least noteworthy. Like, why this is a type of guy who you wouldn't expect, like a Go Bear, a Jarrett Allen in an all-star game, sure. But yeah. Don Mitchell, you know, he's a great athlete. It just he's that's he, a good he point. Like he'd be fun to play with. So based on you know a sample size of two NBA all-star drafts. <laughs> at least he at least seemed like LeBron and was it Giannis didn't want to play with him. Um, Steph, like, one of the years, maybe no Steph. Okay. I mean, Kevin Durant. Durant. Oh, it Kevin like, Durant. I, there you go. I remember one comment being like, yeah, who wants to play with those guys in Utah or something like that? Well, so this was, this was a Utah. That's why like, I, I love the take, but I think there's like a lot of Utah to this too. Like when they were the last two, players because Rudy Gobert had complained for years. I never make the all-star team. It's because I play in Utah. The national media hates us. And then Katie and LeBron go to draft their teams. And the last two players left were Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And the TNT guys had a good laugh about it. And then LeBron goes, we never played with Utah back when it was like 2K or NBA Live. Like we weren't pretending to, we weren't drafting Malone and Stockton. Um, so, and then this this year was funnier because James Harden went last because the the trade the, the draft <laughs> happened the day of the James Harden trade. To that was pretty six. great. Yeah. Um, and and LeBron had wasn't that right around when LeBron had thrown some thrown some shade at uh, uh, subtle shade at Harden when he was blowing up Sam Presti uh, and mentioned all the draft picks that Presti had made and didn't say Harden. Well, that was the. There's a lot of stuff LeBron was doing. Because it was more, I thought it was more directed at Palinka. Tom, I don't know if you remember where it was like, I always loved being in Cleveland. Don't rule out me coming back. Oh, yes. All star game was in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And he's like, best GM ever is Sam Presti. And then the Lakers are like, shut up. We traded for Russ because you asked us to. Shut up. And then, you know, here we are. So I'm happy you brought up Russ because I want to close the loop on this because I think it's, when I think of guys that other like guys that those guys want to play with, first thing that comes to my mind is Kyrie, right? Because how many guys can in the league can say like, yeah, I had LeBron James and Kevin Durant both be like, I want to go, I want to go play. I think I could win a championship with that guy, and essentially that is what LeBron and and KD did do at different points in their in their career. And what is Kyrie? He's a bucket, right? He's a guy, you know, you get your bucket, and like Russ, right? For all of his faults, and my goodness, anybody with a brain knows he has lots of faults. LeBron looked at him this year and was like, you know what? He's a bucket. I'll figure out the rest later. Uh, you know, just give me the guy who's a bucket. I, is Donovan Mitchell a bucket? I kind of think Donovan Mitchell is a bucket a, a little bit. He, I know. I don't know. I know he does. He has his faults. He doesn't get to the rim like some of these other guys. So, like, he's not a perfect player, but I don't know. Maybe he's a quasi bucket. No, I think, yeah, he's at least a quasi bucket, if not a full on bucket. But I think, you know, part of it is point six eight of a bucket. <laughs> you, you look at like Russ's assist numbers and and there's evidence there that he also is a distributor. That he'll yes. set guys up, that he can find guys. 
you know, Donovan Mitchell, I think his assist numbers are, I mean, what are they in the five to six range? He's going to, yeah, I feel like that's where he's going to be. Like, I don't think you're seeing like three or year, three or four years from now, like all of a sudden you're going to look up and Donovan Mitchell's averaging eight or nine assists a game. Like, I don't think there's a hard, like Andrew brought this up recently. I don't think there's a hardened future for him where we're looking at him like, whoa, you know, is he one of the best playmakers in the league? Like, I don't, I don't see that. No, no, I don't think he has those, that, that kind of vision or anything like that. But, um, I mean, I, I just wonder if the perception of Donovan Mitchell at this time is is one of someone who's kind of a ball hog who maybe doesn't. I'm looking at like his assist to usage ratio, and I know like his usage is always crazy high, and it has to be on his teams. But that assist to usage ratio is not that good, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's no. been pretty for them. It's been it's been getting better, but it's 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 in the bottom third of the league the whole the whole time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause like, as far as fit, like basketball fit, I don't think that the Donovan Mitchell, I mean, it depends on everything you give up to get Donovan Mitchell, but the same depends time, the price. Yeah. if you're not, if you, if you're keeping Julius Randall, then I, I just don't see the fit there. And I think that Rudy Gobert would be the better basketball fit, but would kind of not work just as far as the books, let me go. ask you this: Is there because this is this was kind of why I wanted to have this conversation? Then we can move on to like another player. Is there is there a move like a realistic move? And if if, if it could either be like bringing this player in or bringing this player type in or getting this player type out, that like let's say they let's say a, a Gobert trade was on the table and you could do it through getting rid of. Well, I guess we we could talk about it briefly. Like, I guess it would be it would be Randall and like Nerlens. Fine, let's do Randall Nerlens because you're 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 getting out of center and one other. Let's send Alec Burks back to Utah, right? That 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 works salary wise. Um. So your team is then ba- so then you're so the, let's run through a hypothetical starting lineup. You're doing Rudy Ob. I'm going big to small. You're doing Rudy Ob, um, RJ. Um, well, uh, did I send Fournier, uh, in, a send trade? Fournier in a trade? No, I didn't. So Fournier. No, I didn't. So Fournier. And quickly. And quickly. You like that team? I do. I like. I mean, I like that team. I think. I think. You know, do I love it long term? Not. You know, it probably locks you into like a a five hundred ish, maybe a little better yeah. team, depending on on the development of the younger guys and. Um, if, if Obi's shooting was real is a huge question hanging over all this because, you know, if he, if he can actually shoot the ball, then that's, that's pretty dangerous. Um, but, you know, it feels like I, a I bottom 10 offense though. It feels like a bottom 10 or at least, at least bottom half of the league offense. I think, yeah, you would really be betting on RJ's development in that, in that scenario. Um, yeah. but, and and you'd have to give more more of the reins to Fournier, I think. But you're right. I know that's that's totally fair. That's a, that's a pretty rough offensive starting unit. Um, you know, if Derrick Rose is still coming off the bench and and is you know any semblance of what he was, then yeah. you could hope for some of those second units to be, you know, to be kind of feisty. But you'd be banking on Thibodeau working his magic and it being just a a legit top three defense. Um, year yeah. in and year out. But again, lo- I think that's a low, a fairly low ceiling team that kind of feels like a steady eight seed. That's, I was, 
I'll, I'll give them a six seed because I think Tibbs would work his magic, but it's a six seed that gets eliminated in you know, five or six games. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need with customizable orders every week. You can add extra proteins and sides, change up the serving size when you have guests, or just double up on your favorite recipes so your box works harder for you. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences or skip a week whenever you need. Feeding the whole family has never been easier with larger box sizes for more servings and more savings. HelloFresh also offers convenient, contact-free delivery right to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. The recipes are easy to follow and quick to make, with steps and pictures to guide you along the way. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips, so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. HelloFresh is 30% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store, 
Plus, you skip the checkout lines. Try our quick and easy meals, which include 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go, and 10 minute lunches in HelloFresh Market. Perfect for your busy schedule. Enjoy restaurant quality meals for less in the comfort of your own home. HelloFresh's gourmet recipes like balsamic fig sirloin are over 72% cheaper than an average restaurant meal. Look, guys, I don't have to tell you how busy I can be with all the work I do for Nick's Film School, as well as my show Final Review. My fiance is just as busy, and when that question comes up every night, what do you want for dinner, rarely do we both have answers. Well, we've actually been customers of HelloFresh for over a year, and we're thrilled when we found out about this sponsorship. Not only is the food delicious, but it's convenient to make and takes away that simple anxiety of what you're going to have for dinner that night. They send you a week's worth of meals, you cook them, you prepare them, you eat them, and and then by the weekend, a new box for the following week shows up. It's that simple. Go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool16 and use promo code FilmSchool16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool16 and use promo code FilmSchool16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Um, let's move on to somebody else. Someone else that you're you're interested by the potential fit and like what, what that might look like. Yeah. I've been really interested in the Malcolm Brogdon talk. Um, Here we go. I, know, I'm writing a little something for about Brogdon on, uh, on for Friday's newsletter. Let's, let's get into it. Do you like Brogdon? Are you a Brogdon guy? Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of Brogdon, right? I really do. It's just, he's <laughs> had that. such a hard time staying healthy. Everyone knows his, his health issues. He's, I think he missed like 40 of the last, 50 games for the Pacers this year. He had, he had like a, an Achilles, just a, not a, not a, like an actual injury assigned to it. I think it was just like Achilles pain that lingered, which I never like. Like that's, that's all tanking. Thing, uh, it's, it's called tanking Tom. Come on. Maybe, maybe I'm just being naive. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, I, I, I don't think you're being naive. I, he had a legitimate injury at one point for sure. And, that, but I, I'm, to like parse like how much how hurt he really was like i think i don't know with with how indie season went you know you could i, I think that's a, a smart read i think it's a smart read of it um you know his contract he makes about 20 22 and a half mil for the next three seasons yeah. um that's not it's not breaking the bank it's like oh. that's a reasonable contract for this player for this caliber of player if he's able to stay on the floor especially he's kind of he kind of becomes a value contract um so i i was looking into it and so i did a little sleuthing that's kind of like a theme of, of this show. I, I went to the NBA All-Star Draft and then no, I, I looked at Pacers Reddit and I was like, what are they saying about Malcolm Brogdon? Wow. Um, you went is, deep. You dove deep for us. Is Reddit an accurate representation of how you know sane fans are feeling? I don't Absolutely. know. Um, I go on Nick's Reddit sometimes and it, it can be a scary place, but no, I, it seemed like a lot of the complaints about a lot of the, the fans were saying that Brogdon should be moved. And, and then a lot of them were saying that he's actually been unwilling to defer to Halliburton as like the primary ball handler. So I went a step okay. further, John, for you guys. I told you, I, I did the, I did this cramming for the finals. I, I'm, I can't, I'm beaming like a, like a new dad. I'm beaming and I'm honored. Well, I, any chance I get to listen to, to Caitlin Cooper on her podcast, because she's, you know, so smart. She, she, and, um, I believe it's Mark Schindler do the, the indie cornrows. No, no free advertising. I don't know what I'm doing here. But, no, it's fine. Listen, Kayla Cooper, friend of the show. Yeah. She's been on the show, right? I mean, so, yeah. so I listened to her talk about it on their show and she was saying how there, 
her one, she has a segment called one big number. And it was, the number was minus 17.2. And that was stood for <laughs> the Pacers were minus 17.2 points per hundred possessions when Brogdon and Halliburton were on the court together. Oof. And it was just a 200 possession sample size. So not huge. And there was some noise in there, but her point was like that there were, there was some of this like unwillingness to defer to Halliburton that, that Brogdon would slowly bring the ball up the court and that Tyrese would go long stretches without even touching it. And he, she described it as Halliburton jumping out of his skin to get the ball and go. And I was like, this, this is someone who watches these games a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I trust her opinion far more than I do my own of, of a team. I don't want, I watch them four times a year or whatever. So it gave me pause to, to the whole Halliburton conversation because in theory on paper, this is a, a two, you know, a two way guy who can play on or off ball. He's got size. He can shoot it. He, he gets, he likes to drive it and get to the paint. Um, there's not a lot to, to dislike until you factor in this injury risk and maybe this, this lack of willingness where I, I could see that, that issue transferring itself to, to he and RJ as well. So, um, the thing with, with Brogdon that's, I kind of go, go back and forth on is it's like, he is very clearly like somewhere between the 12th and 18th best point guard in the league. You know, it's like somewhere in that range, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get. I don't know. I've been interested in, in him for a while. And like, you look at, like look at the on off numbers of his time in Indiana. And like, some of them are, are like not great. Um, you look at Brogdon's three point percentage and it's been very hot and cold over the last four, four years of his career. Like it, there's a lot of fluctuation in there and it's a guy that kind of, we just kind of attribute or we just think like, okay, Brogdon is a good shooter, right? He's going to shoot whatever close to 40% from three. Well, you know, you look up and like there've been a couple of years where he has not shot that well from three. Um, yeah. And then the injury stuff and like the thing, you know, it's, and I think I mentioned this on our pod at some point, I'll say it again. Like when Julius took the extension, all uh, many of us, I don't want to loop you in to, to people who said this, if this was not one of you, but I think a lot of people were like, Oh, wow. Awesome job by the Knicks. You know, they got this player whose value is so much higher than this potentially to commit to this number, you know, great job by them. When in reality, like, do NBA players ever turn down the money? Like, no, they don't. And Julius knew what he was doing because I think deep down Julius knew what type of player he was. And for a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who the season before he signed this, the extension that hasn't even kicked in yet. Like I, I'm sure you remember he was in the all-star conversation, you know? And if you're like a slightly sub all-star level point guard that willingly signs for Two years, oh, is it twenty? I think it's like twenty-one and twenty-two. He's making a little more than twenty million dollars a year. Like, and you could tell me, like, okay, well, he's guarding against the injury stuff, and he just wanted to take the guaranteed money. Okay, fine, I, I guess. But I don't know. It's like this is a guy who kind of knows what he is. He knows what he's not, and maybe he, he like, what, what? Where is it getting you? Maybe this is a very long-winded way of saying, like, where is it getting you? Like, what does it do for the Knicks to trade Malcolm Brogdon versus, be, you know? going, you know, giving the job too quickly, or, or if you get a, a Brunson, I don't know if you want to talk about Brunson, but that's, I guess that's my thing. And I don't really have a great answer for that question. 
Yeah. And, and I think, you know, part of it is just that unreliability you were talking about, like whether it's, you know, availability to play games or that three point shot. I, I just pulled up his stats here because I was kind of taking for granted that he was a, a solid shooter. You know, he was a 40% three point shooter as a rookie. He had one season where he was, you know, upwards of 43%, but he's had a couple seasons in there where you're like, what was going on there? Yeah. Um, so it, it is a little, to your point, it's a little hard to know. Yes, he's between 12 and 18 as, as a point guard, but that's actually kind of a wide range, like, you know, top half or, or towards the bottom half of the league as a point guard. Um, I'm with you that you wouldn't want to like give up much of value to get a guy like him. I think he's, he'd probably be a nice to have and be a part of the rotation, but I don't know that you'd want to bring him in like at the expense of, of much of Quickly's playing time. Or, That's yeah. Yeah. I, I like more and more. And this is why, like I wrote like a, a free agency primer and like, <laughs> Like number like after uh, Tyus Jones, who I think if they and I, I was very specific. I'm like, if you get Tyus Jones on the mid level, fine, fuck it, get Tyus Jones on the mid level. He's a nice little player. Um, outside of him, I'm like, like number two on my list was like Gary Payton the second. Do I think Gary Payton the second is the second best player on the free agent market? No, of course not. But like, you look at these guys who are out there, and this applies to trades as well. And you have to ask yourself, like, what are we doing here? What are the Knicks doing here? What is the point of whatever they do this summer? Because I, I think we're at the point where we've seen enough from these kids and specifically quickly. And if you want to throw RJ in here, you want to throw Obi in here. Like, I, I think this is where the general that's that's why I kind of wanted to have this conversation. Like, what are you like, what are you getting out of these potential moves? Like, yes, you may be getting a little bit better. And like, we are always at the point where we're like, we're still trying to like, just get better, get better, get better. But I think there's a difference between getting like a little better like the certainty of getting a little better versus like, Hey, you got a kid over here and quickly who like, and then this to me is like very different from like, you know, once upon a time we were all like clamoring, like, let's see Frank, let's see Frank play 35 minutes a game. Like quickly shown us a lot more than Frank ever has. Like you get where I'm getting at here. Yeah. I mean, all due respect. You want, <laughs> you want to get better. <laughs> you know, question want to get better. You want games to matter at the end of the season. You want a chance to play high leverage games in the playoffs, but you don't want to get better to the detriment of the young guys. And I think just based on that brief amount of research I did on Malcolm Brogdon, I think that'd be a concern I'd have that maybe he, his style of play, his ball dominant style of play wouldn't gel so well with your quicklies and your RJs. And then you don't get, you know, you don't get the chance to see, I mean, even like a Grimes, right? Like he, he's kind of in that role too. For sure. Yeah. Um, Cam Reddish, I'm sure, will be playing plenty of the three spot. And, you know, there's there's a lot of young talent on this team. And so you do have to be realistic about what your goals are with these transactions. Um, you, you're not like your home run swing would be Donovan Mitchell. And, and I don't think that one's getting over the fence. You know what I mean? Like, no, uh, even if you land that. Your your ceiling is only so high until you bring in another another star. Um it's it's a challenge. Like honestly, I, I don't envy Leon Rose's job right now. It is, a, no. it is a difficult task he has in front of him to to try and make this team better while you know keeping youth a priority while satisfying this fan base. Like it is a it is going to be a real balancing act. Um, and you know, no one that we've said so far is like, oh, definitely, like go get them. You know what I mean? There's there's 
pluses and minuses to all these players and, and maybe more minuses than, than pluses. Um, I, I, I have it up. So I just want to go through it on the Halliburton Brogdon point. Um, and again, shout out to Caitlin Cooper for, for uh, bringing this up and for you to bring it up here. Um, so Brogdon came back late in the season um, after he had two games back, then another game off, he was kind of like getting back into the flow of things. And then starting with his, what was his 31st game of the season, um, he took 18 shots at Orlando. Um, Halliburton took 16. Next game, Halliburton, 23 shots, or excuse me, Brogdon, uh, 18, Halliburton, 16. Next game, Brogdon, 23 shots, Halliburton, 8. Next game, Brogdon, 17, Halliburton, 11. Next game, um, Brogdon, 15, Halliburton, 14. Brogdon then missed two more games. Came back, and the difference was, let's see, against Memphis, uh, 13 for Brogdon, 10 for Halliburton, and then 19 for Brogdon, um, and 9 for Halliburton in uh, what was a, a three-point win against Houston, but the previous games they played together, 33-point loss to Memphis, three-point loss to Cleveland, 10-point loss to Washington, five-point loss to Detroit. Like, yeah, things didn't go so well with those guys on the on the floor together. I bet you he's traded. Brogdon. I think he's going to be traded somewhere. I just don't, you know, I feel like there'd be more smoke around here if it was going to be a trade to the next book. Who knows? Um, give me one more guy before we, and then we'll finish up on some draft stuff. Any, is there anybody you think like any of these names that I, I tossed at you where you're like, yeah, that's a guy I really want to see with the Knicks. And like, I think it could work. I mean, it's funny because everyone, again, in theory, I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, that's interesting. I I'm curious to see where that would go. And, and like yeah. another name that, that popped out to me was Colin Sexton. I've, I've like kind of always had a soft spot for Colin Sexton. I don't know why I, I, I think it was just nodding game. big shit eating grin. Well, it was that one game in college where he like went like, was it <laughs> three, one, two three on, on five? five. Yeah. Three on five. Something crazy. It just stuck with me because he obviously showed a ton of heart. He, he looked like a winning player there. You know, the, the on and off numbers in Cleveland would, would say otherwise. Um, and he actually really didn't play that much this past season. So you need to go back to like mm-hmm. 2020, 2021 to actually look at for like a legit sample size. But yeah, I mean, you, you do see some of these on-off numbers. Like the Cavs have performed better with Sexton on the bench versus on the floor, like every season. Um, and and there's evidence that he's really struggled while running points. So like in the minutes played without, say, Darius Garland or R- Ricky Rubio, um, there's there's some question marks there, right? Like the more you do some digging, the more you're like, so where is he going to fit in? Is he going to play next to quickly? Is is he going to be the point of attack defender? Um, is he going to start at point guard and then quickly he's going to, you know, sub in for him coming off the bench. Maybe that works, but you know, Sexton Fournier as your defensive backcourt is brutal. That is, that is not going to work. So it's just, you know, then you're talking about bringing Fournier off the bench and having like Grimes and RJ kind of be in your, your two wings. Um, I don't know, like Sexton does, he is enticing because of his, ability to, to get to the rim. Like every year he has gotten better at yeah. getting to the rim and, and he's improved his and converting uh, yeah and, and converting every year. He's gotten better. Um, the mid range, he does take a lot of like floaters and kind of pull-ups and, and just like frequency wise, if you're looking at like cleaning the glass, he doesn't take a ton of threes for a point for a 
point guard or combo guard. This is my Brogdon thing. This or not Brogdon. Sorry. This is my, this is my Brunson thing. Like you, you have to do more than just look at a guy's percentages from deep to be like, Oh, that person's a three point shooter. If you actually watch like Brunson play like that, he does not want to take threes. Like he'll take, if he's standing there and there's nobody within 10 feet of him, he'll take the three and like he makes them in a decent clip, but there's a difference between that dude and like the dude who's like, okay, where's, where's, where can I get the guy to go under the screen so I can pull up? Like, that's not Jalen. I'm not saying that's not a, you know, that you don't sign Jalen Brunson for that reason. I'm just saying it's an issue. Same thing with Colin Sexton. It's not what Colin Sexton's looking to do, you know? And and if that's, and if you got that guy and he's not really a point guard. And again, last season guy played, sorry, the season before this past season guy played 35, more than 35 minutes a night, average 4.4 assists. That's, that's the very definition of like, okay, he needs to play alongside the primary playmaker. And if they're, if there was a way to to do a roster construction where he could be your nominal point guard and you had a Luca or a, you know, a, a Jokic, or I'm trying to think of how many other like true, like jumbo playmakers there are. And like, there's not, not that many of them because it's, it's really freaking hard. Like then I would say, okay, let's bring him aboard. And for anybody who's like, Oh, we have RJ Barrett. RJ is not that guy, you know, and I don't, all due respect to him. I don't think he's ever going to become that level of like, you know, the offensive engine for a great team. So. Yeah. I mean, that would be a huge leap for RJ and would be much, well, a much welcome sight, but I think, you know, kind of similar to the Donovan Mitchell thing, like Colin Sexton, he has a high usage. His, his, he doesn't get that many assists for how often the ball's in his hands or how often he likes to shoot it. Um, and I think the defense really is an issue for him. Uh, and, and in general, he, he does kind of occupy the same space as RJ. He's just smaller, right? Like he likes getting to the paint. He likes attacking. He likes to get to the line. He's got some overlapping skill sets with RJ, but I don't know that they would amplify each other yeah. in that way. So I, you know, I've kind of come on here and just shot down name after name, but that's why we love you, Tom. You pour cold water. Really you pour, you know, it, it, it's, that's what makes this offseason so fascinating. You know, it is. And that's why I think partially why the thing you came on here and you said, and I've, I've kind of gone back and forth about this. Like if there's no big move to be made where it like, it's like the situation presented to them. It's like, okay, here's your star trade. You got to make it. Um, like maybe they do just kind of run it back with, with a tweak here, a tweak there. Yeah. And I wonder if, if Andrew has any like, pro Sexton uh, insight that maybe we, we left out or, or maybe we slighted Colin Sexton in some way, but I, I I'm know. here for all the Sexton takes Tom. I'm here. I, I can't, I'll, let's talk about Sexton baby. Let's do it. <laughs> You'd the, be unbearable if they fucking got this guy with these nonsense. Yes, too. I would, especially if they don't trade Obi. So I get to be right. And they still keep Obi, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I, so I, like, the, most of it's facetious now. It's funny. Jeremy on cream capitals, everything around me just addressed a Colin Sexton hypothetical that the proposed deal that we heard last summer when we were hearing every rumor possible about the Knicks and their cap space is that OB Knox, one of those two picks they had for Sexton was like a hypothetical trade thrown out there. And some of us were like, do it. Like Tibbs is never going to play Obi. And then lo and behold, Tibbs never played over. Um, and, but, and it was good that they did not make the trade. 
it's that's the the hindsight though is that they didn't make the trade and we're all like regardless of whether you played it or not, I want to see what this Obi Toppin thing becomes and the price has come down for Sexton. I think you know. I'm I'm curious what what they would ask for because the the sign and trade stuff is so is so funky because it's you're you're talking about. The rep, I mean, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but like, if you're you're the representatives of the player, the the player's agents, like, you, what do you want? You want money? You want playing time? You want, you know, a good situation where your guy's going to shine, and that that may not jive with what, you know, the team that's willing. Like, if the team is willing to give him the money and give him the role, then they may not also be willing to give up a lot of stuff to like mm-hmm. give give him those those things. So, I don't know. I, I think you guys would agree. If you have to like convince the Cavaliers to trade Colin Sexton, like if they want him and you have to convince them by giving stuff, I think we're all out on Colin Sexton. This is a, well, he's leaving anyway, just get something type of thing for Colin Sexton. You know, like if they want to keep him and like they'll match any offer, then that's, that's what they'll do. We don't want to actually convince them to give us Colin Jackson. Yeah. Um, so you're, so can I, can we, before we, we finish up with some very brief draft talk, can I, and this will be a good transition into the draft talk. Can I put you under the umbrella of play the kids next season, Tom? Is that fair to say? I'm, I'm skewing play the kids. I do. I mean, it's hard to watch these playoffs and not be a fan of Jalen Brunson. I, I, I do think that he, he's just a winner. Like I even going back to his college day, he won two national championships at Villanova. He, he's just got like something about him. You know, I remember when Fred Van Vliet was um, going to be a free agent and we were all talking about, oh, you don't want to overpay a small guard. And yeah. you know, he, he'd shown some championship DNA with that, with that Raptors team with, uh, with Kawhi. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, he just seems like a guy who makes it work. You know, <laughs> yeah. who just he's just a, a guy who, he didn't just roll out of bed and get to where he is. Like he, he's not blessed with all these physical gifts. Like these are guys, Fred Van Vliet and Jalen Brunson. They're what six foot if that, and they just, I mean, you know, they're not Nate Robinson level athletes, right? They just are smart. They're, they're smart basketball players. They know how to make winning plays. They make others better. Um, And not all of it shows up in the stat sheet. I think watching Jalen Brunson, there have been games where it has very much shown up in the stat sheet, but even then, like he makes winning plays. I, I like him and just his, what he would bring to this team. Um, and I, I wouldn't worry about the basketball fit there. I think he is the type of guy who amplifies those around him. And I, I just think that's who he is. I, I'm a, in case you can't tell, I am a big Emmanuel quickly fan. I really like quickly. I think he has the potential to, to potentially like we're we're looking back in a year or two and you know like oh my god look at what this player has been I mean even just look at Tyrese Maxey and I'm I'm not saying that quickly is Maxey but like a year ago the conversations that are happening about Maxey now are not the conversations that you know that were happening about Maxey then what's changed opportunity he got a chance I'm not and again like Maxey can do some things that I'm I'm not 100% convinced that like quickly will ever be able to do but we also know quickly could do some things, you know, that, that are, that are really special. So I, I want to preface it by saying that I'm with you on Brunson. 
if you can, if the, if it's, and I don't even mind the money, like if whatever, if it's 20, if it's 21, if it's 22, if it's 23 a year, like that's never, I, and, and this is the, why I think the Van Vliet point is a really great one. You know what you didn't have to worry about with Van Vliet was that once that dude got paid, he was going to be like, all right, I'm good. You know, let's we're, we're good here. I could just kind of coast now, you know, Jalen Brunson is not going to be that guy. Like he is going to keep hammering and he's going to just try to, he's got that chip is never getting off his shoulder. So I, I like that. And I like, you know, I like what that would bring to the Knicks. And I also think that quickly could theoretically play alongside Brunson. I know sure. those are, are smaller guys, but like we saw the Van Vliet Lowry thing. Yeah. Both those guys are kind of built like fire hydrants, but quickly <laughs> with his, with his wingspan, with his length and, you know, he, he's not a sieve on defense quickly has the tools certainly and has shown that he's a strong defensive player. I, I don't see any reason why those two couldn't play together despite them being kind of small. Yeah. Um, hundred percent, you know, it would be great is if they were able to, um, draft someone in this draft that was like, uh, you know, a centerpiece to this whole thing where you could put alongside quickly and Brunson and RJ and complete the puzzle. Um, so on that note, I know you've dipped your toe in the draft water so far. We'll have you on at some point later in the summer. We can get deeper into it, but just general thoughts, any general thoughts on the draft, any player in particular, like any, anything your, your takeaways. Yeah. So I haven't like done too much as far as like volume of players. I, really. I've been just kind of doing deep dives onto on, into a few. And the guy I'm looking at right now, who I'm most interested in is Benedict Matherin, who I, I think is like a pretty popular you know, I'm not, I'm not breaking the mold here by saying his name, but uh, like ESPN had him going 11th to the Knicks in their latest mock draft. And, you know, I'd say, I don't know how much you know about Matherin, but he's a uh, 6'6 wing <laughs> enough. Uh, he led Arizona to the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, he was named Pac-12 player of the year and, and second team All-American. Um and like the dude can really shoot the ball. Like that's, that's the big thing for him is he, he hit about 42% from three on like three and a half attempts per game as a freshman. And then this past year as a sophomore, he like really upped his volume. He was taking over six threes a game and, uh, and the accuracy dropped. It, it dropped down to like 37%, which, which was low, which is quite low. But, you know, if you go and watch the tape and even the stats back it up, he was basically assisted on nearly a hundred percent of his threes as a freshman. And then okay. dropped to nearly 75% as a sophomore. He was that's creating a, that's significant. Was a crazy jump, crazy jump. It was nearly a quarter of his threes he was creating as a sophomore. So the fact that he was still hitting 37% on that kind of, you know, much more difficult shot diet, I think is really impressive. Um, it's not in it's, it's pull-ups. And even as a catch and shoot guy, it's like not only, spot ups. He's running off screens. He, there were a lot of plays called for him, uh, staggers and things of that nature where he's, you know, taking movement threes. So I, I think you have to believe in his shooting just because of how versatile it was. Um, and then the other thing is like shooting aside, he's just a freak athlete. Like he threw down some dunks in this NCAA tournament that were genuinely draw, jaw dropping. Like I, I, it reminded me a little bit, honestly, of J.R. Smith kind of without all the you know, silliness, the encore silliness that I think, <laughs> you know, has, a uh, how dare you endeared, endeared J.R. Smith, the fans for sure. Um, 
but just in terms of the the three point stroke, the versatility with it, and then the the bounce off two feet in traffic, like it's it's pretty impressive. Um, the one thing is like he, I don't think he can really like create much off the dribble. Um, he's okay. he's not like beating his man in half court sets. So he, he has a hard time getting to the rim that way, but he's a really, really good cutter off the ball and can get out and transition and get to the rim there. So, um, you know, it's, it's a useful, it's a useful attribute for him. Um, I, I just, I think he is one of those guys who were maybe in terms of the way he'd be deployed to be like Quentin Grimes, um, kind of like okay. this three and D role, but I think what you're getting the trade-off there is that Quentin Grimes is, is an elite perimeter defender. Matherin, I think, was just so-so. I think he was kind of a uh, reactive as a defender. Um, he wasn't like anticipating things. Um, Grimes is just next level there, but he brings a, an athletic and a bounce factor that uh, that Grimes does not. So there, that'd be your trade-off there. Yeah, from I mean, you asked me what I knew about Matherin. My my where here's where Matt were Matherin. I know enough to. He's the probably the top guy I'm asking myself, like, why would he still be there at eleven or 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 twelve if they if they don't move up? It, where it's like, okay, he can't create off the dribble and he's not really, you know, he's not even really in terms of his assist numbers, I think he averaged like under three assists a game. So it's like, you know, we're not talking about a Donovan Mitchell situation where he's you know, at the shooting guard position could walk in and like average five assists a game as a rookie. Like, I don't think he profiles as that, but like, I mean, he's a big wing who could shoot, you know? And like, he's, you're, he's not going to be targeted on defense, right? That's, you know, he's just, he's just like kind of fine. Yeah. He wouldn't be targeted. I mean, he's too big and strong. Like he is physical and he's a great offensive rebounder. And, and I think that could translate to the defensive end as well. I, I wasn't as impressed on the glass with him on, on that end, but I mean, offensive rebounds, he would, off free throws. He was grabbing rebounds. It was, it's pretty impressive stuff. So I think he wouldn't be targeted on defense. Um, passing wise, that's definitely an area for improvement. Um, you know, because he has a hard time breaking down guys off the dribble, he can't really like penetrate and kick so much. So, you know, the, the shots he was creating for his teammates, the, the reads were super basic. Um, but I, I think that that's kind of similar to a Quentin Grimes in that respect. So that's good to know um, though. Yeah. So I think that there is a chance that he could drop if, if, you know, teams are, are focusing or keying in on those sorts of things. And like I said, defensively, I think that Tibbs could, could really teach him a lot and he, he could become a, a very solid defender because of all the tools he has, but it wasn't, it wasn't like innate for him at the college level. He was doing some either, you know, man watching his man or ball watching. He wasn't kind of seeing the whole picture. Um, that was kind of my my first impression. I think again, um, I have not done the homework yet. Uh, I will just say that I think him and and Dyson Daniels are my two. Maybe we're overthinking it, guys. And if if one of the if the if one of those two fall, um, and they end up keeping the pick and using it and intend on, on playing that player in the rotation, I'm, which I'm, I, there's a lot of ifs there. Um, I have a feeling those are the two guys that I'm going to wind up kind of settling on. Not, not there yet. I mean, there's some other players that are interesting, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you, you did that little run through, uh, Matherin because I, he's, he's interesting to me. I'll say that. All right. We did it again, Tom. 
Feeling good. <laughs> Andrew, how, how do we do? I think you guys did stupendous. Um, Very I need, I need a one minute review of season one of Winning Time from Tom Piccolo. That's good. That's a good ask. Man, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think okay. it did start a little slow. Um, but as soon as you get to like, I and mean, we, I, I feel like we all kind of know what happens in that season and we certainly know how it ends. Right. But I mean, look, I, I wasn't so hung up on, Oh, Jerry West is being portrayed this way. I mean, maybe a couple of times I was like, uh, I mean, Jerry Buss has a family. They probably shouldn't be, they could be a little cavalier, I think in their portrayals of these, of these real humans. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, like if this is fiction, this is a fictionalized version of what happened. And yeah. as long as you keep that in mind, then you won't get so caught up on like, is this historically accurate? Is, you know, at the end of the day, it was a super entertaining show. Adrian Brody was Pat Riley. Are you kidding me? Like <laughs> inspired, yeah. inspired casting choice. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I was all in on that. Um, Jason Siegel as, uh, as Westhead. Um, was solid too. He was just like constantly quoting Shakespeare. You're like, there's no way this coach was quoting Shakespeare so much <laughs> in an NBA locker room. But, um, you know, we had our, our guy playing, um, oh, the, the gentleman who, who ha- had to leave the team for, for drug use. Oh, what uh, that Harry's gentleman would be Spencer Haywood. <laughs> Spencer Haywood. Former 52 year old. Avon Barksdale playing thirty-year-old Spencer Haywood. Yes, the age of of Haywood didn't bother me so much. Doctor J's age kind of bothered me a little. I went back yeah. and looked; he was twenty-nine in this season, and the actor looked like he was like forty-three. But you know, Spencer was going through it in this mm-hmm. season, you know, and so the actor had—I mean, he did an incredible job, I thought, and all the the Spencer Kareem scenes, I was all in on. So, no, overall, is a is a great first season. I was hooked. Um, I, I do think there are probably like three episodes you have to sort of get through before you really start rolling into like the actual Lakers basketball stuff, which is the stuff I care about, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited. There's gonna be a season two. All right. I am as well. I'm pretty, pretty good review. I'm, I said this to the guys on playback because Benji and I would basically spend like every halftime giving our reviews of the most recent episode of, uh, winning time. Yeah, And about midway through the season, I was like, there's some really great writing going on by McKay. And yes, they're like making shit up left and right. But like they're not. They're also like the big short is about real people. But the writing is so good that you don't care if those aren't the exact things that happen. Same thing with Vice and all the other things that McKay tackles. Um, I felt like at a certain point, I was like a comic book fan that was like, this is not accurate to the comics. Therefore it's not valid. And then I just, I kind of turned my, that part of my brain off and I was able to enjoy it. Good job Um, by you. Yeah. For the basketball segments, I was still going on to basketball reference. Oh yeah. Games and being like, how did this player really perform in this game? Um, The off the court stuff, I was able to let go and be like, you do whatever you want with genie bus. Like that's fine. Right. uh, Have you read Perlman's book? I have not. So I read the book and knew what was true and what wasn't from like Perlman's report, I guess, reporting on the book and that time Mm -hmm. in Laker history. Um, The 
I, I told, I, mean, I don't know if you heard this from the pod, but like this show got me going down this, this rabbit hole on YouTube of rewatching <laughs> games from great. the 70s and 60s, just because they're all there. Magic's game six performance. I rewatched it the other night. The whole game? Yeah. Well, when you edit three hours worth of cap or no cap, you have a lot of exporting time. So the real, so. He's the real hero. He's the real hero. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would love if they like, Gave a little bit of credit to Jamal Wilkes, who like dominated the entire third quarter. Is barely mentioned in the last episode. <laughs> no love but for whatever. Wilkes. Michael Cooper had four points or like six points in the game, and two of them got their own scene. But yeah. I digress. The the movie, <laughs> the, the movie, the show. I thought it was well well done and well acted to HBO standards. And if you just ignore the fact that it's like twenty five percent made up, it's good. Yeah. And I mean, John C. Riley, I didn't even really mention him, but he was incredible. Um, MVP of the show. I know, yeah. There was that rumor that like Will Ferrell was originally cast for that role. But... Oh, no, that's not a rumor. That's real. That's why McKay's will. That's why will Will Ferrell. So originally Will Ferrell and McKay's company bought the rights to this show and Will Smith, Will Smith. Wow. Freudian slip. Will Ferrell wanted to play a uh, bus. Ooh. And so McKay, who was going to show write it and direct like episode one, um, didn't think the fit was right. And so he went and got, um, oh John man, I'm blank on the, well, he went and got somebody else who was going to do it and Michael Shannon to be bus. And then Shannon had to back out and Farrell like still didn't know about this. And so he went and cast Riley instead. And since John C. Riley is friends with Farrell, he told him. And that created the rift in their friendship to the fact that they haven't talked in years. Are you shitting me? That is serious. That is. I had no ass. idea this was a thing. Their their company, um, Gary Sanchez or whatever it was called, something Sanchez Produ- Productions, broke up because of this show. They're not friends. I mean, like his press tour for the show, Adam McKay, he was like the one bittersweet part about this pro this project that I'm proud of is that it like I'm not sure Will's ever going to talk to me again. I kind of worth I, it though. Kind of, kind of worth yeah. it. I mean, yeah, I'll, not, I'll, not for nothing. They also made the right choice. John Cena was amazing in the show. Yeah, I'll preface this by saying I'm not the biggest uh, Will Ferrell guy, so take this with a grain of salt. But like, oh my god, that would have been a disaster. And like, I, I am also, a, I've, I think I've said this before. I think there was an argument that John C. Riley is the best working actor today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think yeah, dude's fucking outstanding. Um, it's, a, so, yeah. it's a different show if he's playing it, like. There's all the emotional scenes that Jerry Buss has. It's like watching Ron Burgundy miss his dog that got kicked off a bridge. Like, I'm not able to take that seriously if Will Ferrell. Glass case of emotion. Yeah. Like if he finds out that his mom is dying, he's he goes into a glass case of emotion. You know, I have to buy the Lakers, he says in his Ron Burgundy voice. I have to do the news. Chugging milk. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> Lakers assemble. Chuck, chugging something. Um, yes. All right, now, quoting Anchorman. There you go. That's a, that's a new bit that we should do. Okay, uh, Tom, you're amazing. Uh, to, for anybody at home who somehow doesn't know where to find you and your great stuff, can you just inform them, enlighten them, please? For sure, yeah, man. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. Um, we are still putting out. Putting out content uh, for Talking Knicks. Uh, you can follow us at Talking Knicks on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, yeah, you can listen, subscribe to our podcast as well. Let me know if you uh, want to do a couple more guest guest scribe sessions for the newsletter. 
before uh, before next season. I'm 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 open for business whenever you want to. All right, we'll do. <laughs> All right, uh, awesome stuff from Tom. If you're not following him, go go change that. Check out Talking Knicks. Uh, Tom Piccolo, ladies and gentlemen, always a pleasure. All right, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tom. He always brings the heat and the fire. I was happy we got into the the Gobert stuff too, actually, because I feel like I've been getting thrown a lot of fake trade ideas involving Rudy Gobert and to actually get into the the weeds a little bit on what that would look and feel like. I, I appreciated that. Hope you appreciated it too. Um, that is it for this episode of the Next Film School podcast. Uh, Jeremy and I will be, will be back with our usual show at our usual bat time and, and bat channel. Uh, we won't be a, a day late and a dollar short like we were last week. It'll be coming at you like normal. Uh, stay tuned for that. Got our usual allotment of shows. And of course, next week, the lottery. We're going to find out where we're picking. Could this be the year? The first time ever that we move up in the draft, you know, one of these years is going to happen. Um, hopefully before I'm dead, uh, as it were. Okay. Uh, that's it. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We will be back with you with another one very soon. Peace out.